This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and I'm so excited to be back again this week. Today, you're listening to episode 82, and I'm talking with Shayna Sangster. Shayna is the director of marketing for the Indiana Fever at Pacers Sports and Entertainment. She is also the owner of Just Ride Indie, which is getting a new name soon. You'll hear about that in the episode. She was a gymnast growing up and ran track and field in college. She was a 400 hurdler. And in this episode, we get to talk about how growing up as a serious athlete shaped her to who she is today. And we learn about her career path and why Just Ride Indie is so important to her. And a quick trigger warning, Shayna did grow up training at the gymnastics facility that Larry Nasser worked at. So we talk about that whole situation during this episode. Shayna did not experience sexual assault herself, but I do want to make sure you know ahead of time that this topic is covered in case that is a trigger for you. I really enjoyed my conversation with Shayna and I hope you do too. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a quick rating and review as that is helpful for potential new listeners finding us. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Shayna Sangster. All right, well, today on the podcast, we have Shayna Sangster on the show. Welcome to the show, Shayna. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So you're an athlete, you're an entrepreneur, you're a marketing pro. Let's start with athlete. I know you grew up a yeah. gymnast turned track runner. Uh, so talk about those early days in gymnastics and how they kind of helped form you into the human and adult that you are today. Yeah. So um, a lot of people think of me as a track and field athlete, but I really started out as a gymnast. Uh, My mom put me in gymnastics when I was about two years old, and I was a gymnast for 15 years. So um, I competed at Twist Stars, which is a gym in Michigan, in Lansing, Michigan, which has come under a little bit of controversy recently. But um, for me and my experience personally, it was it was life changing for me. I was um, the gym I went to was very strict and very um, hardcore. And so. We were training, you know, 20, 20 hours a week, maybe if not more. And it would be for me, I'd wake up, go to school, go directly from school to practice, go after practice, go home around eight or nine o'clock, do my homework, eat my dinner, go to bed and then repeat. So um, that work ethic that was drilled into me at that age is is completely the only reason I can work the way I do now. And um, I think the gym I went to and the coaches that I had, although they were not perfect and there were are several things that have kind of come out about that gym and that those coaches, um, 
the one thing I can at least take with me and appreciate is the work ethic. That was um, just a part of my life. Okay. I'm so curious about this as a parent because um, we've been really slow to kind of introduce sports and make sure that it's kind of just like super for fun for the kids right now. And I even struggle now. Our oldest does soccer like three days a week and he complains about going to soccer. And, you know, part of me is like, I understand you're tired. You've been at school all day. And then part of me is like, you should be grateful for this opportunity, you know? Um, Yeah. But my question is, as an adult now, how do you see that looking back that so much of your childhood was spent training? What do you make of that now? Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I struggled with it as well. And I, I mean, it was scary. The things that practices that we were doing, you know, flipping on a beam when Mm, you're, mm -hmm. you know, at a really young age was terrifying for me. And the conditioning we did was on another level. I mean, pull-ups, climbing ropes, um, running the parking lot at, you know, a fairly young age. So it was hard. And there were days where I did not want to go. I cried. I struggled with you know, like the, the fear of doing everything that I was being asked Mm -hmm. to do. And, um, so I completely get that your son may not want to go to practice. That was me. Um, but now today I am extremely, extremely grateful for those days and that time. And I'm a firm believer that everything in your life is meant to, um, that is something that you can use later on in life and something that you can learn from and build from. And, those long days are the exact same long days that I have now. And it's just something that's now built into me. And I know since I've done it before, I can do it now. So although it was rough back then, today, it is like a godsend. I I wouldn't take it back for anything. That's so good to hear. Yeah, I'm trying to strike this balance here of like, you got to teach your kids how to work hard, but then also let them just run around and be free and be kids and not have a super structured regimen of routine all the time. So yeah, there's this balance. But hearing you talk about how that is so positively affected who you are today, your career today is really refreshing. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely believe that. And I've had friends that, um, you know, I, I did quit for one year. Um, in eighth grade, I took a year off and I did volleyball and I tried basketball and I tried all the other sports and I really did enjoy them. I was like, oh, this is fun. Like mm. there's other people <laughs> like it's it's like a team sport more so. Um, but at the end of the day, I ended up just deciding I wanted to go back to gymnastics and um, did that up through high school until I was um, moving on to college and decided to do track in college. But I will say out of all the sports, I I know a lot of people, this is probably an argument out there, but gymnastics to me is the hardest sport that there is. Mm. Um, I don't think that there's, there's anything harder that there's no track practice that can compare to the practices I had in gymnastics and the, the mental toughness that you have to have, have as a gymnast. So um, kudos to all the, the, the gymnasts out there. Yeah. That fear component too, that you were talking about, because you might be fearful of like how hard your track workout might feel and be. And can you mentally like persevere (laughs) through that? But I mean, on a very lighter level, I did gymnastics as a kid too. And I remember being so scared to even just do like a back walkover on the beam. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just has a completely different mental component to it um, in terms of everything that you're doing. I mean, flipping on the beam to flipping off the bars to um, tumbling and vaulting and um, although you're trained to do these things and your coaches know what they're doing and know you're prepared, it's 
still a mental feat to just get over and believe in yourself and believe that you can do it. So for sure. What did your parents think of that year that you decided to take off? Were they supportive? Um, yeah, I think a little surprised and a little, probably maybe a little annoyed just because <laughs> it was, um, you know, like they had put a lot of time and effort and money. I mean, we oh, traveled yeah. across the country. It was club gymnastics. So not, not with my high school team, it was a club sport. So we were traveling across the country, doing all these things. And then, you know, they probably knew I was capable of getting a scholarship. I was, you know, state champion at, at every level and regional champion and doing all these things. And so when I wanted to quit, I'm sure it was set them back a little bit, took their breath away, but, um, they were, um, supportive. And I, my mom was just like, you can't sit around and do nothing. You have to, you know, do some other sports and participate in something. So, um, I tried volleyball and loved it. Did a, I went to one basketball practice and they say I jammed my finger and I said I didn't want to go back, which doesn't make <laughs> sense to me, but because I was hurt all the time at gymnastics. But anyway, um, just my coach called me after about a year and said, are you ready to come back? And I said, I guess so. I guess I am. So I did. I went back. What if they wouldn't have called? I probably would not have gone back. I, really? I don't know if I would have like taken that step on my own, especially in huh. eighth grade at yeah. that age. I just wasn't you know, fully thinking about it. And, you know, gymnastics was a love hate. I, I loved the sport. I loved competing. The practices were rough and the, the fear was hard. Okay. So you did mention that you competed at twisters, which for those listening who might not know, Larry Nasser was the trainer. You were not a victim of sexual assault, but I'm curious with everything that's happened in the news since then and seeing, you know, these other young women tell their stories, like how does that sit with you today and how does that make you feel? Yeah, it's, um, honestly mind blowing. It's, it's so hard to imagine, um, what was going on while I was there. And, um, I just have such, um, compassion and for, for my teammates, some of my teammates and some of those other women that were affected by this. And, you know, I was a gymnast, like I mentioned, for 15 years, and Larry was there the entire 15 years I was there. Wow. And never once did I have an issue with him or mm. never once um, felt like, you know, he was doing any, anything inappropriate with me. Um, but obviously, he was with, with several hundred other, other girls. And so it was just really shocking. And to also live in Indianapolis, where USA mm -hmm. Gymnastics is and where Indy Star broke the story, um, was just also crazy to just see the people, you know, in the newspaper every day and on the news. And, um, you know, there's a real, uh, group of people that, you know, weren't victims, but were a part of that organization that still have to come to terms with what happened and, um, and what happened to their teammates and what happened with, you know, coaches and, and every layer that were affected. And so I just, my heart goes out to everybody affected by this entire situation because, I've told people multiple times, like I was a gymnast for 15 years. I saw Larry multiple times. I was teammates with these girls practicing with them for 20 hours a week and I had no idea. Hmm. So, um, you know, to assume that people knew is, I think is a little bit of a leap sometimes. And some people did know and didn't say anything. And that's something they're, they're going to have to deal with. But, um, you know, just to have been a part of it and been in that world for so long and just, um, be ignorant of what was going on. Um, you know, I just think people need to understand that not everyone knew. And if we did, then, you know, maybe, maybe something would have happened sooner. So 
And since then, the head coach, John, went on to commit suicide. So that, I mean, having worked with a guy for your, you know, entire childhood. Yeah. How does that yeah. sit with you? Yeah, that one was a hard one as well. Um, and shocking, just completely shocking. Again, I don't, he had a, you know, a lot of charges against him and nothing that I personally was um, affected by, or there's nothing that I saw that he did. But again, I'm not speaking for those people that said he did. I'm just speaking for my, for my own experience. And it's just really sad. He had a wife that uh, worked with him, was a coach as well, Catherine, um, who, you know, my heart goes out to her to have to see, you know, her husband commit suicide. And then he has three kids that were a part of the gym. And one of them was a coach at the gym. And so just uh, my heart goes out to that, them and the family and um, obviously the victims, because there's just so, there's so many details and so many things are intertwined in this situation that it's hard to, it's really hard to understand it unless you were in it. And so I know a lot of people have opinions and I know a lot of people have thoughts about um, what should have happened or what could have happened. But, um, you know, at this point, I just have empathy and compassion and, you know, just hope that everyone else can have the same. What do you think the way forward is, though, like to make sure that those kinds of things don't happen in the future? Uh, that's such a good I know, question. It's a hard and question, I'm, huh? <laughs> it's a hard one. Um, and it's really, you know, it's really accountability and, and yeah. holding – and making sure that the systems are in place um, to protect those young girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were so many things that were happening at the time that seemed normal mm-hmm. and and still to me don't seem like a big deal. But when they came out in the news, it was like, okay, looking back on that now and me being, you know, 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20 years removed, I can understand why that was inappropriate or why that shouldn't have happened. Or, you know, there were there were different things in place. I think the biggest thing is just making sure that there's other people in the room, especially when it came to Larry and um, and his situations, like having um, someone else in the room to make sure that 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 gymnast is covered and that nothing is happening inappropriately. Um, But there's so many levels and so many issues that I don't know if there's just I could probably go on for days about things that they could do differently. But um I don't have the right answer. And I think that's what USA gymnastics is struggling to figure out and has to figure out on their own. So, um, there's, there's a lot of levels there. And I, again, just ask that people kind of have empathy and compassion as, as they, they figure that out. Yeah. I was thinking that too, like having other people in the room and now that it's talked about and now that it's out in the open, not just like being in the room and sitting on your phone, like while, you know, people are being examined, like be in the room to actually like physically hold someone else accountable and like make sure that yeah. there are another set of eyes on what young girls being touched because they do have to be examined and like looked at for physical therapy type purposes for sure. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, I'm so interested that, you know, you spent all this time in gymnastics and then you go on to run in college, 400 meter runner. Did you do the 800 too? No, I mostly did, I did 400, but I also did the 400 hurdles was probably my main event and then all the relays. So I can, I can see how a gymnast transitions well to like a shorter distance hurdler. Not that the 400 is the short, I know the short hurdles are the 110, but, um, it doesn't surprise me that like a really good gymnast could transition and be also good at that. But why did you decide to pursue that instead of gymnastics? 
Yeah. So, um, I left gymnastics my senior year in high school and it was a mixture of things. I think at that point I decided I wanted to run track in college. And so I, um, just decided I wanted to enjoy my senior year. Again, I was practicing so much and competing so much. There wasn't much time for football games and pep rallies and different things. So, um, I, knowing I wanted to run track in college, I, I let gymnastics go. And, um, really, I think that I just, I, I think it was a mix between the two. I really loved track. I loved the team environment of it, especially of the relays and those different events. And I think I had just done gymnastics for so long. I was just ready to, to try something else and do something else new. I had a lot of teammates that ran track. Um, pole vault actually is a really good transition from gymnastics to track because you have such awareness mm. of where your body is um, in the air. So I had several teammates that were tracking or that were pole vaulters and actually went to be pole vaulters in college. Um, but it for me, it was just I knew that's what I wanted to do. And it just stuck with me. And um, I found a great university, a great coach and just decided that that was the path forward. So that's where I went. Yeah. And you ended up being a, a co-captain. You have this like leadership thing about you. Where does that come from? <laughs> um, I, I really can't pinpoint where that came from. I think it just was a little bit natural for me. Um, you know, I was a captain on my teams in high school and then my sophomore year in college, my teammates voted me as one of the co-captains. And so um, I think a lot of the stuff that w from gymnastics transferred over, I would, you know, kind of organize di different things for the team, try and make sure, you know, the throwers were talking to the sprinters and the jumpers were talking to the distance runners. And I think that just translated into, you know, them wanting, voting me as captain, just because I wanted, I love a close knit team. I want everyone to feel involved and be, um, a part of the team. And so that, um, to me just, was just was who I who I am and who I was at the time. Okay, that just sparked a really interesting thought in my head. I recently yeah. saw a tweet from one of the Hansons coaches saying like uh -huh. he sees it as the team's job, like the people on the team to create the culture and the yeah. close knit part of the team and that as a coach it wasn't his job and I I kind of read it thinking isn't it a little bit of both? I'm curious how you feel about yeah. that. Yeah, I definitely think it is a little bit of both. I do think, I think first and foremost, the seniors or the leaders on that team have to have to do their part because without like the team buy-in, like it doesn't matter how much the coach does, like they're not gonna, they're not gonna get into it. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I do think it is heavily on those on the team to build that culture and that environment. But sometimes that, that coach has to come in and, and set the standard or, or bring those, those leaders together and say, Hey, we have you know, we have some young people on this team or we have these people acting out. They're not, you know, really listening to me. And so I need you to step in and, um, and speak up. I think, uh, this reminds me, I'm again, obviously from Lansing, Michigan, I'm a big Michigan state fan. Tom Izzo is like an idol in, mm. in Michigan. So, um, he leads that way with his team and you can see his team kind of, uh, encourage the younger teammates and uh, get in the circle and direct them in terms of where they're supposed to go and what they're supposed to be doing. And that's what you want in your team. You want leaders that are able to do that. But at the end of the day, um, everything drizzles down from the top. It comes from the mm -hmm. top, right? So mm -hmm. if the coach is at the top and he's setting the right culture and the environment, then the others will fall in line. So why did you go with Western Michigan? 
Um, well, I did some uh, visits to several different schools, uh, mostly in the MAC conference. And, you know, I had a, uh, a few friends that went to some of the other schools and I just decided I wanted to go to a school on my own and I didn't want to go to, you know, a school where, you know, I automatically had a friend there. I just kind of wanted something different. And, um, I loved my coach, coach Kelly Lichen. He was amazing. Um, um, just, he also was really good at the 400. His, his runners always ran well in the four by four. They always went to nationals and that was my event at the time. And so, I just thought, you know, if this is my event and he's clearly very good in coaching the, these athletes, then that's where I want to be. And um, it was a, it was a really good experience for me. I loved being at Western and being in the MAC and um, running with my teammates and s- several of which I still um, am friends with today. So it was good. I'm curious what, if anything, you think it was that your parents did that helped you like be so independent. Um, I, I, I'm oftentimes relating this back to my own parenting, obviously at this stage in my life, like thinking about sending my oldest to like a summer camp in a couple years. That's like where he wouldn't know anybody. And the thought of like, get him having the courage to do that. He's the type of kid that I think would really struggle with that. But like, I really want to instill that independence in my kids. Is there anything you think that your parents did to instill that? Man, um, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know if that is instilled or if that is just, um, just naturally for me because mm-hmm. my brother, um, is, is different, completely mm-hmm. different for me. I think he was very, um, social. He had tons of friends, knew everybody mm-hmm. that was never really who I was per se. Um, and so I think maybe a little bit in just terms of going back to the gymnastics and just, um, I guess every kind of sport I've been even track, if you don't count the relays, was very individual mm-hmm. and very, you know, it was you were out there performing on your own in your own lane or on the beam or on the floor, whatever. And so maybe that's just comes from that of just having to really rely on myself in those moments. Um, so I think it's probably a little bit of just who I am, but um, also just in the experiences that I had growing up and then kind of reinforced through those. Yeah, you know, I I asked a similar question about, you know, another quality somebody had and it was Liz Bohannon and actually I put her episode out last week on the Illuminate podcast and she was like, well, I think it's a fun question, but like, isn't it always a little bit of nature, a little bit of nurture? Like there's always a little yeah. mix of both, right? Yeah, yeah, I would completely agree. I would completely agree. And I just think, you know, I just grew up, you know, with an older brother, he's about three years older. Um and I, I had friends growing up, but most of them were gymnasts, obviously, because yeah. I was there all the time. Yeah. And um, I just I just think I, I was ready to just kind of be in my own group and be in my set my own path and start something new. So um, that's just the way it worked out for me. Yeah, it's kind of comforting, too, to hear that as a parent, because you you want to like shape and mold your kids to be successful and do what they love and whatever successful means, you know, um, to them. Yeah. But there should be this sense of peace that like, well, we are who we are. So if yeah. if a child yeah. is uncomfortable going to college where he doesn't know anybody, well, maybe that's okay that he doesn't do that or she doesn't do that. You know, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I got a, a visit. It came late. They offered me to go to, I think it was Cal State Northridge for a visit. Mm-hmm. And 
it came very late. So I had already done like several visits and was ready to make a decision. And my mom was like, no, we just, we're, we need to just make a decision and move on. But had I actually gone out there, I probably would have gone to mm. California for, because it just was something different, something new, like never lived on the West Coast would have been fun. So um, I think that was just me just finding my own path. Hey, everybody, a quick break here. Since I'm crossing these episodes over, I'm also airing this over on All Have Another podcast. I wanted to share about one of the sponsors we have over on All Have Another, and that is Beam. Beam's mission is to empower people to push their limits and pursue their passions by improving their physical and mental wellness. They have an amazing hydration line as well as an amazing sleep supplement line. I don't know if they call it a sleep supplement line, but they have balance, performance, and recovery hydration mixes with a great blend of electrolytes. And then they also have a dream blend powder that has CBD in it, and it is my nightly routine now. It helps me get to sleep every night, and I really enjoy the ritual of it. It's a hot cup of water mixed with a little bit of their powder, and it has a hot chocolate flavor. Very delicious. And you guys can try those products out and save 15% when you go to beamtlc.com. Use the code Lindsay15 and that will save you 15% off your order. All right. And don't forget this podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. And we have a brand new show in the network. It's called The Urban Pharmacy, hosted by Stacey Heine. It is all about holistic living, plant-based eating, and non-toxic living. Stacy's a wealth of knowledge. Her guests are a wealth of knowledge. And if you're into that kind of stuff, definitely go check it out. It's called The Urban Pharmacy. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Shayna Sangster. Well, let's talk about life now. You've had a fun, I would say, from the outside looking in, an interesting career post-college. You worked for USA Track and Field for six years, and now you're with the Pacers and the Fever. Um, you're specifically marketing for the Fever, correct? Yes. Yep. Directing, director of marketing for the Indiana Fever. That's so cool. And I was looking at your LinkedIn, too, and you were like, what What was it before? Assistant Direct, what was it? Uh, associate. Associate director, yeah, for um, marketing integration. And before that, I was um, on our corporate partnerships team on the activation side of things. Okay. Let's talk about a patience and career, but like having a goal for yourself and, you know, working your way to get where you want to be. What What was your yeah. vision trajectory wise with the Pacers and the Fever? Um, honestly, I knew I wanted to be in a marketing related role when I came over here. I was, um, I was at USA track and field, as you mentioned for about six years and I'd gone back while I was there to IUPUI and did the, their, through their MBA program with a focus in marketing and entrepreneurship. And, um, when I graduated there, I knew I wanted to do marketing. And so, um, I knew a person that worked at Pacer Sports and Entertainment. She was promoted and, uh, recommended me for her job. So, went through the interview process and got the role and um, it was in corporate partnerships on the activation side. So if um, I wasn't selling sponsorships, but 
once a sponsorship was sold, I would get the contract, I would see what was in it and basically just be responsible for executing everything in there. So if a sponsor has signage or if they have a timeout or if they have a player appearance, I was the one kind of making sure those got done. Um, and so I, I've never really had a full vision exactly of where I want to be or, you know, a dream goal job. Um, when I started in college at Western, I was actually biomed undergrad. Um, my, my mom is a doctor. She's a, she's retired now, but she was a family physician. So I always kind of loved medicine and liked that piece, but, um, I hit organic chemistry and decided that probably (laughs) wasn't for me anymore. That was a rough class. Um, and I switched completely switched completely to business. I was like, okay, let's, I feel like I have a good leadership side of me. I feel like business would work. Um, and then I went into business management and, um, knew if I did business, I just didn't want to work somewhere boring. I just, Mm. business to me at the time was Mm -hmm. like sitting on a computer and like selling paper, I guess. I'm thinking of the office or something, but, um, <laughs> Dunder I Mifflin. Knew, exactly. I didn't want to work at Dunder Mifflin. So I knew I wanted to work in sports and that was the only way I wanted to do business. And so that's what I pursued. And if, if I was going to do this, I was going to work in sports and that was the only option. So, um, that has worked out for me, fortunately. So, um, it's a big, it's been good so far. And listen up, everybody. I have to just tell the story because when I think Lewis was turning four or five, I can't remember. And my kids, obviously, we live in Indianapolis, so they love Boomer. We love the Pacers. And yeah, well, other than last year, we've been going to like one game a year, one to two games a year with with the big kids. Uh, Russell might be moved up this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I sent Shana a message and I was like, um, what are the chances that we can get like an up close look at Boomer when we come to the game? So she like she was in her office working, came downstairs, met us, took us to downstairs to see boomer where then lewis just totally got cold feet and freaked out but it was super (laughs) kind of you to do that yeah no problem that's what we're here for to you know make people have a good experience something they can remember and enjoy the game so but i remember seeing you in the elevator like still in your work clothes like and we must have gone on a weeknight or something because you were definitely working right you were like working in your office yeah and i think um it's funny because sometimes people say things like, well, what, what time do you guys get here on game days? Or like, they'll ask questions like, what do you guys do in the off season? And we're like, we work we're here <laughs> every day, uh, regardless if there's a game or not. And, you know, on game days we get here, um, at the same time. So eight 30 in the morning, nine, eight 39 AM and work till the game's over. So, mm. um, so yeah, I'm usually here working either if, if I'm in my office or, um, working the game or, if I'm lucky than watching the game somewhere, but, but yeah, we're always here. I just remember thinking, I feel like she works a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. I think everyone here in, in, in sports probably, uh, does a little over their workload at times, but, but that's why, that's why we're here. We love the game and we love, we love the experience and making sure people have a good time. So, but there's more to it than that though, because you mentioned you, when you went to uh, IUPUI and got your MBA, um, you also had a focus on entrepreneurship. So marketing and entrepreneurship. And now you own your own studio, Just Ride Indie. You guys are incorporating new different types of exercise coming soon. So I am so curious, like when you pursued entrepreneurship 
for for that MBA. Were you already thinking of something like this? How did how did Just Right Indie come about? Yeah, um, absolutely not. At the time, <laughs> I really just took entrepreneurship because I was like, it was more in relation to strategy. They were kind of like, well, entrepreneurship is also kind of like uh, a focus in strategy. And so I liked that. And I like strategy. And I like kind of making those plans. So at the time, I was more so interested in the strategy piece. I thought I would never own a business. Um, and then I started instructing at Just Ride in 2016 when they opened. One of the managers, I knew her, and she asked me if I would be interested. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. And so um, started teaching there. And then um, after a couple of years, the owner who lived um, in a different state had a baby, and she just didn't have time to manage it anymore, wasn't interested and decided to sell it. And so I, um, having had taught there for a couple of years, was just interested in it and, and interested in the business side of things and interested in like the direction it could take and where it could go. And so I decided to buy it and take it over. And I have had it ever since um, about 2018. So about three years now. And it's a lot, but uh, <laughs> on top of my full time job, but it's uh, definitely a journey and it's it's something that um, I'm passionate about and excited to see where we can take it. Was that scary? I wouldn't even know how to buy a business. Yeah. I mean, it was it was terrifying. <laughs> I mean, like beyond terrifying, I, you would think having, you know, an entrepreneurship degree and like a master's and being in business, I would know everything. But you don't like they tell you the the general overview of things, but you don't you don't know what you don't know. And so there was a lot of things I didn't know. And it was it it was very hard in the beginning. It's still pretty hard. But in the beginning, there's just stuff you don't know. And so you just kind of have to figure it out, read blogs, Google, find people that do know and and do what you can to figure it out. Um, and so I, again, I know we talked about this in the very beginning, but the gymnastics piece mm. and the fear piece of going to the gym every day and doing things that you didn't think you could do, or you didn't know you could do is literally repeating itself in this part of my life with the entrepreneurship and the taking over of the studio. It's every day me doing things that I didn't think I could do that I'm terrified to do. And, um, it's literally a repeat of my, my younger self. And so I think, again, everything in your life prepares you for later on. So just pay attention and and walk through whatever you're trying to get through because it will be useful when you need it. That's so good. So I read your article in Be Well Indie. I mentioned to you before we got on the call that after I read that article last year, I wanted to book you for one of my shows. And I don't know why I drug my feet, just probably <laughs> got spacey like I do. Um, yeah. But one of the things that the article touches on is the need for diversity in the wellness space. And so yeah. I would love for you to kind of explore that a little bit with us and tell us what it means to you to be a black woman who owns a business. And can you tell the story about the woman coming to your studio and saying, this is black girl magic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it it's very important to me. I think part of why it's so important. I obviously, I, as I mentioned, my mom was a doctor um, and she's retired now, but physician growing up. And so um, health has always been a part of my life and her teaching us about what to eat and um, heart disease and especially things that uh, really affect the African-American community. So, um, you know, when I go to the grocery store, when I go to Kroger on 
on 16th street mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I see, you know, uh, minorities with pop and, uh, Twinkies or chips or whatever in their basket. And I just, it breaks my heart to think that people don't even realize how good they could actually feel mm. if they were just fueling their body with, with natural and organic products. And so, um, or just moving their body on a regular basis. And so I just think, um, in the minority community, there, there are so many, um, issues with health. And so to see yourself reflected in someone else that is healthy and Mm -hmm. is moving and is, um, working out is important. And it's also important because some of the things that we do and like, for example, at Just Ride, we have theme rides. And so we'll do different artists and different, um, let's say it's, you know, 2000s hip hop and R.O.B. where Ride has all of the music from that era. Um, and so I think it's very important to have a diverse set of options so that people feel comfortable and they're coming in and finding music that they enjoy and they listen to growing up or that they listen to now. And um, to just provide a diverse um, audience and a diverse setting and a diverse set of options for them. Um, so that they're interested in taking care of themselves because at the end of the day, that's what it's about is just being healthy and finding wellness um, and complete wellness. And that's really what the focus is for me as we move forward with Just Ride. Um, as you mentioned, we're adding a new modality. We're adding yoga to the studio. And so in the beginning when I took it over, the most important thing for me was um, when I graduated college and I moved to Indianapolis, I loved going to all the studios. I loved going to mm-hmm. to a yoga studio. I went to boxing. I went to cycling. I went to do all the things. And um, I think that studios, boutique studios, service you in a different way than, um, let's say, the YMCA or some of the big box gyms do, because they're very um, they're very unique and they're fit for that modality. And, you know, the, the big box gyms really serve you in a generic way. And so my goal with um, Just Ride is to expand our, our offerings, but keep that boutique feel. So when you walk into that spin studio, you are in a spin studio space. When you walk into a yoga room, you're in a yoga studio. And it allows you to diversify and change up your fitness routine and um, keep from getting bored with what you're doing and also um, offer some change to your workout so your body doesn't get bored and, and plateau. So um, there's just so much in terms of diversity, not only in diversity of staff and diversity mm. of our clientele, but also in diversity in your fitness routine. Because without it, you people tend to fall off and kind of lose interest. And so um, there's just so much there that I could talk about and I could go on forever. But in terms of the girl that came in, um, she was a young college student and I think had been interning here over the summer and then started coming to Just Ride and taking our classes. And I just remember seeing her post something about seeing me as the studio owner and as the instructor for that day. And she posted something on, on Instagram, you know, with hashtag black girl magic. And like, I think when people see someone that looks like them, they get excited because it it opens up the possibilities for them. But it also, it just, it just feels good to just see someone succeed that looks like you. And so I think that's really what has become important, important. And, and so, um, such an honor for me to be a part of. That's so cool. I'm curious, you know, the, the people that you're talking about with the Twinkies and the pop in there, 
um, yeah. you know, grocery carts, which, hey, listen, I'm, I eat a Twinkie every so often. I'm sure Shana does too. <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. It's the lifestyle, right? It's like the everyday yes. lifestyle. How do you target those people? Like, how do you market to them to say, hey, here's a studio that might be of interest to you? I mean, because I think that the one of the biggest barriers to fitness is people don't realize how fun it can be. Yeah. And that's what's been great about spin because people come in and they're like, I've had multiple people say I couldn't, I couldn't stick with anything until I found this and it's fun and it's distracting so I can get through the workout and have a good time. Um, and especially with cardio, not everybody's a runner. Like I get it. I obviously am, but, um, there's different ways to get the cardio in if you need it. And so that's the biggest thing is that people just, you have to mix it up and find what works for you. And I think in terms of targeting those people, it's, that is difficult. But what I love is that when I see someone come in and it's their first time and they are, you know, they're nervous, they don't want to be judged because they can't quite keep up with everyone. Mm -hmm. That is not the environment we set. And that's what I tell them from jump when they walk in. I'm like, look, if you need to sit down and take a break, sit down and take a break. We do not yell at people here. We are not that type of studio or that type of gym you know, come back and join us when you're ready, take your water, whatever you need, sit at the back. If you want, you don't have to sit up front and be, you know, in front of everyone. And we just have people that, you know, feel welcomed and feel like it's okay if I'm new and I'm a beginner because, you know, at some point everybody was, I remember my first spin class. It was after college. I was like, I was a division one track and field athlete. (laughs) You know, I like, I ran the 400. I can do a spin class. No big deal. I went and I almost died. Like I was not ready for it. And so, you know, everyone has had that moment, moment, including myself. So just, just get past the, the, the fear of trying something new and feeling like you're going to be embarrassed or you're going to be, you know, the slow one. No one cares. Just show up. Okay. This might be a silly question, but like, you know, you're a marketing person, so you know more than I do about marketing, but I'm like, can you put like flyers in the 16th street Kroger? You know what I mean? I'm just thinking like, how do you get in front of them? Yeah. I mean, I guess I definitely could do that. I don't know. So old school. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I don't know if Kroger will allow me to, but what ends up happening is we get a lot of, um, we get a lot of like friends that come in, like someone will come Mm -hmm. in and they'll word of mouth will bring a friend with them. And, um, I think that's where it starts because someone comes in and they enjoy it and they bring some other people. Um, you know, in terms of, in terms of the, the people at the supermarket, it's hard because it's, it's inappropriate for me to go up to someone and say, Hey, (laughs) I see what's in your cart. Um, I think we need to chat. Like that's, that's not okay. And you know, I, the fear is they just don't know. They just don't know. Right. And so, um, that is a, I could talk about that for a long time about the food industry and how people, um, are told what they should be eating and Mm -hmm. how they should be eating. And, um, it's, it's a really kind of messed up system, but I won't spend this entire podcast talking about that, but it's, it's a larger scale issue than, you know, just, just the one location on 16th street or one grocery store or one person. So, you know, I think we try and reach as many people as we can. And it's honestly, it, it has to be at a point when they're ready. Like if they see the ad come across their Instagram feed 15 times, they may not click on it until, you know, the 13th time because they, at that point they're like, okay, I'm ready to actually take a step forward. 
Yeah. You know, it is, it is such a bigger problem than that. I just listening to uh, Stacey Heine on our newest podcast and Sandy boy network, the urban pharmacy mm-hmm. and her and one of the doctors she just had on, he's a cardio cardio cardiovascular doctor, I think. Um, but okay. anyway, they were just talking about that, how like it's so cheap to go to McDonald's, you know, it's yes. like the food that is oftentimes not the best for your health is like, it is just the cheapest and easiest thing to do. So yeah, it's no wonder there's such an issue. I mean, I know that's an obvious statement, but um, yeah. it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I mean, I have been to those places and thought, man, this is inexpensive, man, this is cheap, but you know, obviously it, it hits you up on the other end in terms of insurance costs and, and uh, pills and different things that you have to take because of your high cholesterol or your diabetes or whatever that may be. So um, it's better to just spend the money up front with the food that you're putting in your body and feel better because of it. Yeah. And I go to that Kroger sometimes too. It is a very diverse group of people at that Kroger. I would say yeah. more so than like almost any grocery store um, I've yeah. been to in the city. And then also they actually have a pretty diverse like variety of food, I would say. They do. They do. They have organic product. They have, I go there all the time. That's yeah. the closest Kroger your to main me. One, so yeah. yeah, I go there all the time and they have, they have a wonderful selection of products. It's just it just depends on what you're putting in your basket and you can go anywhere. I mean, Meyer Kroger, wherever yes. you're at, you can get, they all sell crap. So you can get crap wherever you go, or you can walk a perimeter and get the fresh produce. So it's up to you. Um, okay. So tell us about the Beyonce mural. And if you're moving buildings, do you <laughs> move know. Beyonce? <gasps> I know. It's so sad. I'm like, if anyone out there knows how to cut a mural oh. on the wall and take it with you, please let me know. Please reach out. I need, I need some info. But yeah, Beyonce is my number one. She's a love of my life. I absolutely adore her. And I've been to multiple concerts and just love her. So um, when I think it was uh, Muckrock was in town doing murals all over the place, she had actually come to uh, the studio to take classes in the morning. And she'd come to our 6 a.m. class. She was, uh, she's a local, or not a local, I think she's from California, but she was doing some murals across the city. And so... Um, when I, she came to class, I was like, I'd love for you to do a mural in our space. And music is so important to spin in what we do um, that I was just like, for sure, musical artists. And if it's going to be a musical artist, it's probably going to be Beyonce. So um, she did that by hand. I just, she held the phone in her hand looking at the photo and wow. then just did it with her right hand with the spray can. It was pretty incredible. Pretty, she did it really quickly. And um, I've, I love it. It's, we haven't been in our actual studio space for classes since COVID happened. We've been either outside for classes or in a large warehouse space. So no one really gets to see it anymore but me. But um, it's honestly a full work of art. That's that's crazy that someone is so talented that they can just look at a picture on their phone and spray paint Beyonce. Yeah. And it was, do it well. It's impressive. Very impressive. She's extremely talented. So can you give us any more insight on details with the new studio? And I know you're adding yoga like we talked about or names or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So we are moving um, to uh, Ohio Street, 537 East Ohio, um, into a new space there. They're building it out now. And um, we are changing our name, which is the first time I'm mentioning this anywhere, to Rise House Fitness Studio. Because obviously... 
you can't be called just ride if you are, yeah. um, if you have more than just riding. So, um, we are changing the name to rise house and, um, you know, this is honestly exciting for me because it's the first step in my vision to adding different modalities and adding different offerings and making sure people have this holistic approach to their health. And, um, you know, hopefully we will continue to add other things in the future. That's, that's the goal. How exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. Is that nerve wracking at all doing that? Like, oh yeah. In the midst it's of terrifying. COVID? <laughs> Oh, it's absolutely terrifying. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I shouldn't be moving or I shouldn't be doing certain things. Mm. But, um, you know, another part of me is my faith. And uh, I'm a big believer in, in Christ and in God. And um, when he tells you to move and move in venues or move in life and anything, you do it. And so um, I'm just prayerful and believing that this is the right step and um, just trying to um, manage this business for him because I believe that he's gifted me with it. And so, um, we have some phenomenal members. They're all very excited about the yoga piece. And it's something that I've been looking forward to for a while. And, um, you know, the new space gives us more space literally to space the bikes out and to have a big Mm. enough space to do yoga Mm -hmm. so that we are, you know, people feel comfortable and that we are being safe. And so it also has a garage door to it, which is my favorite part. Um, I love that. So if we need a little bit more circulation, we just open up the garage door and have our classes that way. But um, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I'm really excited. Okay, two things. Our gym in our back of our house, we have in our garage, and when yeah. we lift the garage door up, it's just like. I don't know. It just feels, yeah. it feels so fun. Like it's such a fun way to work out with the garage door. Absolutely. Up. Absolutely. And just the sunshine, it, especially coming out of, you know, the winter months where we're all a little depressed. It yes. changes your life. <laughs> For sure. Um, okay. And the other piece real quick that as you were talking about your faith and like just taking this step, even though it feels scary, I was just listening to Bob Goff on Liz Bohannon's podcast. Yeah. And he was talking about, um, you know, we're here to love, to serve and to be available. Mm. And then another piece to the conversation, he says, like, if it's not flowing your hair back anymore, like make a change, do something different. And I'm like, I feel like everything you just said about that spoke exactly into what I just heard him say on my run. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I love Bob Goff. I just finished reading one of his books. Um, absolutely. Where I mean, to love, to serve, to be available. And that's, I love that. That's, that sums it up right there. To, to love those around you and treat your neighbor as yourself. To serve those around you and to be available to what God wants you to do and the way he wants you to move. I I can completely lean into that. And that's what you're doing, scary or not. Yeah, that's the goal every day is just to listen and, and move. So do what I can. Um, what is something professionally or personally that you'd like to do, even though you're doing a lot right now, that you haven't done yet? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think for the studio, for I get for professionally, I'd love to build the studio into um, the vision I see in my head, which is this space that offers not only multiple modalities, so something that is related to cardio, which is the spin, the mind, body, spirit, which is the yoga and strength training, which would be the other component, but also offers, um, you know, is a space where we can host Bible study classes or we can host um, Financial Peace University because that speaks into the financial fitness of your life. Um, or, 
that has like a cafe space where you can get, you know, healthy foods after your classes. And so I just have such a vision for it that I just have to bring to life that God has given me. And so that's professionally what I really want to do is, is to build the studio into that space. And then personally, I would probably have to say, which this is kind of random, but my entire bucket list has been to swim with whales. And so I have a friend that is doing that every day and I like follow her Instagram and I, one day I'm going to fly out and meet her in I don't even know what country she's in right now. Cause she goes all over the place, but, um, and do that because that is definitely a goal that's got to be done in my, my lifetime. Who's someone fun, motivating or inspiring you'd like to have coffee, tea or a cocktail with Beyonce. Ooh. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Beyonce, my top list of people that like, if I was having a dinner party, I'd invite would be uh. Beyonce. Michelle Obama and Oprah. Oprah Winfrey is like, love, love, love Oprah. I used to tape her, her show in college on like my VCR Uh and then watch it back when I had chance. But yeah, definitely one of those three. I can't narrow it down to one. I always feel like so lame when people ask me this question and my answer is always Oprah because I'm like, I feel like everybody answers Oprah. Actually, the most, by far the most, um, the highest how why can I not talk um the most answered person to this question is that how you would say that why why can I not say that most common answer yeah the most common answer (laughs) is Michelle Obama hands down on yeah and I'll have another it's definitely Michelle Obama but I always say Oprah and you know I did that too. I remember leaving class early because I'd be like, okay, my class would get out at like 4.15 and I'd be like, I'm getting home at four because I want to watch Oprah because yeah. Jennifer Aniston's <laughs> going to be on Oprah or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, me too. I also always listen to one Oprah interview before any live show I do. Oh, wow. I, I will like whether it's that morning or the day before that I always listen to at least one Oprah interview because it just gives me like, I don't know. It gives me a little bit of ease. I think (laughs) not that I think that I am any match to Oprah, but just the way she um, has conversations with people and the ease that she does that. I think it like settles this like confidence in me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and if you didn't watch the Megan and Harry interview with Oprah, like, that solidified to me that she is the goat of interviewing yeah. because she killed that one. But I, I love that, that, that to me feels like you're kind of want to see the greatest so that you can kind of be the greatest version of you. So yeah. Awesome. I love that. I love how you said that. Um, yeah. for sure. Okay. So what's the best, most recent book you've read? I am currently reading dare to lead by Br- Brene Brown. I haven't quite finished that one yet. But the last one I read was Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, um, which talks about the caste system here in the U.S. in comparison to the, the one in India and then the one from Nazi Germany. Incredibly good read, like extremely um, so much information. Like it was very hard. I had to keep going back and rereading things because it was hard to absorb some of the stuff. But it was really, really good. Um, and then our women's network at work just read just mercy, which is one of my favorite books of all time by Brian Stevenson. If you haven't read that one, I highly recommend it because I've read it three times now and it's probably my favorite book. Um, totally forgot to touch on the women's network, (laughs) which is one of my talking points, but that's so (laughs) cool. Give us the tiniest glimpse of what the women's network is. 
Yeah. So the women's network is for Pacers sports and entertainment and that, um, Pacers sports and entertainment includes obviously the Pacers, the fever, the mad ants are, this is our G league team. And then Pacers gaming, which is our NBA 2k team. And then bankers life field hostel, all the events that happen here. And so we have a women's network for all the women at the organization to come together and to, um, you know, really develop themselves and provide, um, a little bit of a family structure or like people to talk to and lean on in difficult times and um, just ways to uplift us within the organization and within sports. And so it's been really um, amazing to have these women and uh, such a strong group of women um, within the organization. And, um, you know, we've set the tone in different ways as far as giving women or making, not giving them, but promoting them into leadership roles or hiring into leadership roles um, with, Kelly Crosscoff being the first GM on the NBA side. She's an associate GM over there. Um, and then uh, Mel Raines, who runs our entire facility here. Um, she's one of the few women in the NBA that does that. And so it's been, it's been a really good experience for us to have these opportunities to talk and come together. And the Pacers has a fairly high percentage of female employees uh, compared to other programs. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I believe so. I don't know for sure what the comparison is across the league, but um, we certainly have, you know, a fair amount of women within our marketing team and within facilities and across the organization. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was comparable or if not higher than than other teams. And also, I remember when I was reading Just Mercy, I remember you like messaging me and being like, that's one of my favorite books of all times. It's so good. Yes. It's so good. It's so good. If there's one thing that you get out of this interview, it's read Just Mercy. Totally. Or at least watch the movie. For sure. I know I, have, I haven't watched the movie, but yeah, the book is so good. Um, okay, last question. What is your last message you'd like to leave with our audience today? Um, I think I, I heard a quote a while back, and I think it was from Will Smith. I don't know if he was quoting someone else, but he said – the best things in life are on the other side of fear. Mm. And I think that just is my life because with gymnastics, that was such a part of my life and but such a feel for, fearful part um, of the things that I was doing every single day. And I think now translating into um, my studio and the business that I'm running, it's another part of my life. And so I just encourage people that are afraid or fearful of doing something. I wouldn't take that as a as a no to doing it, obviously you need to do your homework and make sure that you're prepared and, um, that you're doing everything to make sure that you can succeed, but jump onto the other side of fear because there's so many great things on that other side and you'll find out more things about yourself that you're possible and capable of doing. So I just always like to encourage people to do that because, um, it's turned out so well for me. Oh my gosh. That's so good. Yes. Everybody think about all the times you've like face the fear and done the thing and what good probably came out of it. That's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Shayna. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's just fun. Okay, friends. Thanks for being here today on the Illuminate podcast. Thank you, Shayna, for sharing your story. You can find Shayna on Instagram. She is Shayna underscore Sangster. You can find her studio on Instagram, Just Ride Indie. You can find us on Instagram. We are the Illuminate Podcast over there. If you're interested in checking out Beam and their Dream Powder, which is their sleep blend, 
as well as their hydration line, which is also very good. Go to beamtlc.com. Use the code Lindsay15 to save 15% off your order. All right. We're thankful for you. Thanks for being here. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll see you next time on the Illuminate Podcast.